right. <laughs> Hello, everyone. I am so thrilled to be here. One of the things that I love talking about more than anything is how my life changed because of that direct contact with God. Now, many of you may be familiar with my story. I'll get into that briefly, but I just want to begin talking about the healing power of God. It can be used, this love can be used in the smallest of situations, and I'm sure many of you are familiar with these moments. I, I'm not telling you how to pray. I'm just saying that this is what has worked for me after being in the presence of God. Like, say I have a bad day at work or I have, uh, you know, a friend hurts my feelings or, or something happens. What I often do is I remember that love of God. So I might go on a walk and I might say, hey, God, add your light and add your power to this situation. Take it away from me if it does not belong with me or transform it in a way where I can see differently. And I cannot tell you how many miraculous moments on this planet I've had just from that little prayer, just from saying, hey, can you change this in some way? Can you add some love to it? Many times God will simply take something away that is unfair or wrong. You know, I'll have no more attachment to that if it had nothing to do with me. If it had something to do with me, I might see things with greater compassion and see from another person's point of view and see how to add peace to a situation. And that love of God is really about all that is light filled, all that is beautiful. Because when I was in heaven, when I was in that place with God, I didn't take any of the pain of this world. It gets confusing to be back in this world and be back in this place where you are journeying through life and you're experiencing the slings and arrows of outrageous fortunes and <laughs> all kind of uh, individuals who may not be of the light and you can get thrown off your path. But one thing that I have always held on to is God is not going to allow us to take that uh, when we move on. So you can simply in any situation ask for God's love. One of the things that is strangest to me, the before and after of a near-death experience is before my near-death experience from about age 14 to 22, I felt very contained within my body and I felt very uh, insecure and uh, I was someone who was always calculating what I needed to do next for my survival. I really wasn't thinking about other people too much. I'd had kind of a rough upbringing, but one of the strangest forms of consciousness changing that happened, both, you know, like when that near-death experience happened was how I never felt alone again. I never felt like contained fully within myself. I always felt like, oh, <laughs> I had a connection to spirit or a connection to God or a connection to angels or just this connection to nature or just this overflowing of energy. It was almost as if I had been busted wide open. The near-death experience changed so much and I had so much love to give. God gave me a particular mission to work in a school system, which was a great place for someone with a lot of love to give because there's a lot of students who need a lot of love, a lot of encouragement and a lot of uh, guidance along the way and especially guidance from the other side. But one of the things that I would love to just give to people who are searching for more of that connection is that connection. And the only way that I can 
assure you that you can get there is through meditation and meditation and prayer and taking that quiet time. Also listening to speakers at IANS and, and other um, places, people who talk about awakening and talk about their connection with spirit, I think opens people up on an energetic level. And that's, uh, that's part of what I just love about the IANS conference and conferences like this. But if you're not familiar with my story, I will briefly get into it and then I will really talk more about the love from the other side and, and some stories that I have seen that have transformed how love has transformed people's lives. But I was 22 and pretty lost. Uh, although I was doing all right at the University of Texas, I really was struggling and there's a lot of kids who are to even greater degrees than I am and that's one of the reasons why I wrote my book I still will always hope that younger people find it and some of them have uh, I write it for everyone you know but but I have a particular place in my heart where I think about young people like myself who are lost maybe experimenting with drugs had very dysfunctional upbringings and you could say that you know most of us have had dysfunctional upbringings but there's a variety of levels of abuse that neglect that that people go through and they they often react to that in different ways so i was hurting and i didn't know how to process it i didn't know how to deal with it i just knew how to keep moving forward that near-death experience was unexpected and expected in some way um, the thing that that really surprised me was um, I was in this philosophy class and I remember reading that a spiritual experience can happen just instantly. I had heard the story about C.S. Lewis, how he was an atheist on a motorcycle ride. And then when he returned back home, he was no longer an atheist and he couldn't describe why. I'd heard of these awakenings that people had had. And I remember thinking, wonder if that'll happen to me. <laughs> it was something that that just kind of uh, filtered into my consciousness. And then a couple of, of months later, I did have that near-death experience. And it was because of a car wreck and on my way to run the Austin 10K. I waited 17 hours for surgery. And I was still agnostic, you know, in the, the waiting room before I signed that form when they took me in for emergency spinal surgery. The scariest part was being that person who was still so contained in the body my car my grades my my body all all of these things the only things that mattered i couldn't imagine a spiritual reality and that spiritual reality became one of the most important realities to me quite shortly so as soon as my back was opened up and it was open up in a very big way because i broke three uh vertebrae so they they had to attach the rods above the vertebrae below it and take bone from my hips so basically you know i have a scar down most of my back and hip so there was a ton of blood and that was the first thing that i noticed when my spirit form popped out of my body was looking down at the physical form and seeing how bloody everything was on the table but i was also just thrilled and i just say this often to people and and i really just want you to understand how thrilled I was to know the spiritual reality as a reality. It was never a dream. It was just a 
a relief, you know, and I think many people who've had a near-death experience or, or all of us when we transition, I do believe we'll just go, oh, okay, <laughs> the body is over and now I am the spirit form and it does go on and it is the reality. So that was my first experience, but the angels in the operating room were what really blew my mind. And for so long, I didn't even know what to call them. I was like, were they aliens? Were they light beings? What were they? You know, they were just these huge eight, nine feet tall beings with shimmering light. Uh, more, they look more like they were trying to be a form just for the sake of form than a solid form. They were mainly made of light. So this was just astounding to me. I couldn't. I couldn't even grasp their intelligence level and, and that they were there for me. And I felt so pleased that they were there for me. It was, uh, it was really quite amazing. So one, one thing that, that stuck with me in that moment is that angels work through other people. And I very much was in awe of the fact that the angels sent this energy through the surgeons and into their back. Now this is quite common. You know, we know Reiki workers work on an energy level. We know that we can send energy through meditation. We know that a lot is possible energetically, but to a 22 year old in 1994, I'd never heard of Reiki. You know, I'd grown up in a evangelical home and the thought of, of this was really just not something I'd ever considered. I didn't really give much thought to angels. Did they really blew my mind? <laughs> That's all I can tell you that I realized they were way more advanced than the surgeons intelligence level. And I found that fascinating because doctors are quite smart, especially neurosurgeons, but these angels just blew me away. And as they worked on me, I knew that I would walk and I would run because of their help. And that is what gave me comfort. Uh, I knew my doctors were great, but I really wanted uh, that assurance from the other side. So I'm gonna jump ahead a little bit in my near-death experience and, and get to the moment of oneness. So I flew out of my body and other things happened, but at some point I just felt this peace and oneness with everyone I'd ever known. And I think this is the beginning of divine love that no matter what we have gone through, so no matter how abusive a parent has been, no matter how horrible an ex has been, no matter, you know, like your whatever betrayal you have gone through in life, I think at a soul level, when we disconnect from the body, I think all that our soul and this place of love has to say is be better, you know, to other people, you know, live a good life, be your best self, turn to God and do better, be better. And I think at that soul level, that's all I wanted to say to people was enjoy it, enjoy life. You know, if I didn't know them very well, then it was just kind of like, hey, make the most of your life enjoy every moment within that physical form, honor it, treasure it, be good to yourself, be good to others, and just be constantly better, grow, learn, become more. And that's all that my soul wanted to say to people, even people who had hurt me. And I think even now, if my soul tra transitioned, I'd want to say the same thing, that I think at the basic level, we are all love. And we do realize that when we take on this form, you know, it gets confusing, <laughs> but at a basic level, just as children are love, 
we are loved too. And that's, that's what that part of the experience showed me is that at a basic level, I'm just pure love. And so is everyone else. And we forget it in a variety of ways when we take on this form and experience what we experience. Well, the next part of my near-death experience was the life review. And it, it showed me how I was judgmental at times and not loving and how I got things right at other times. And I, when I was a kid, I prayed in nature and I connected with God and God showed me that going to nature changes us. And I didn't realize how timely this message would be, but especially to young people now who are virtually learning and on their computers playing video games, they are so out of touch without, with nature. It's really frightening, a lot of them. Not all of them, but a lot of them do not even know that their mood can be altered. They can be dealing with depression or all kinds of horrific diagnosis. And if they just would take a walk every day and sit under a tree, that diagnosis might change. <laughs> like there's, there's this, and I'm not, I'm not um, making fun of, of major diagnosis of, of things. I'm just saying that a lot of depression and headaches and, and things can be altered and made better through being in nature, through meditating, through taking that time just to feel some greater peace. Obviously, you know, a lot of um, situations are complex, but as a whole, when I look at this generation of students, I really think they need a lot more time. They need to understand that nature is an energy that hopes to heal them. I can't tell you how many times, you know, I've suffered back problems and, you know, back pain from time to time or, or neck pain. And I've leaned up against a tree and I've just said, hey tree, if you want to take some of this pain from me, that would be great. And the tree does it. <laughs> you know, you can believe that this is belief or, or whatever you want to believe. But um, yeah, who knew hugging trees could actually heal you or be good for you. But um, there's a lot in that moment of taking that space and that time for yourself to connect. So that was what I saw that I was doing well in life. What I was not doing well in life at 22 was judging people based on the way they looked or the things that they studied in school or didn't go to particular colleges. You know, it, I had this hierarchy of how I categorize people and it was all wrong. I wasn't looking at their hearts, which is the most important thing that, you know, those people who are more in touch with that love from childhood and that love are really kind of wonderful people. I talk a lot about how we do have to learn how to protect ourselves in a world that um, can take advantage of people who are very innocent and loving, but connecting with people like that is such a joy. Connecting with people who have that ability to love, who have open hearts, who actually care and pray for others, that's a beautiful thing. And at 22, I didn't acknowledge that, and I didn't even see that some people were praying for me, and uh, I didn't have time for them as friends. So that was a big wake up call for me. I knew that I would go back into the world and look at people in different ways after that experience. So I transitioned into this heavenly realm and saw my grandfather who has always been a source of love. From the time I was zero to 10, he was in my life in, in this physical realm. And then he died when I was 10 and I saw him in heaven when I was 22 not 
that man never said a negative word to me. He was 100% unconditional love. And even when he was dying, he was thinking about how is this young child going to remember me? So he knew I liked horses. So he wrote down all the stories in his life where he had interacted with horses. And he just wanted me to remember that I was loved. And maybe he understood that my family life was difficult, but grandparents can often be these forces of love that are just our guides and for lack of a better word on the other side and so when i saw him i knew that he had continued to stay in my life sending me love and there he was in heaven and i just felt at peace like oh finally everything's right we're reunited this is great and yet when he said do you want to go on to that love of god i could not hold myself back i just was drawn to that absolute power of God. And this is what I want the rest of the talk to focus on is that love. I, I don't even, I could break it down to you in so many different ways. But the first thing that I knew happened is that I just felt excited. You know how, when you're going on a trip and you feel like, Oh, I'm going somewhere new. We're about to land. I've never seen this place. I knew that what I was encountering in this love of God was something that I had never encountered before in physical life. You know, on the other hand, it did feel like home, like, okay, now I'm remembering where I came from, who I was before that journey. I'm remembering, you know, before birth, but in my physical life, and I was still attached to that zero to 22, even my grandfather's love in life, even, you know, the most passionate love affair that I'd had at that time, none of that compared. It was just like nothing compared to the force, the energy of this love that was coming toward me. And I know that everyone wants to experience that and i wish that everyone could <laughs> i wish that it was something that we could just uh connect with in this powerful way and really share with people but that that moment it also erased a lot of things that were painful in my life so i saw that you don't take pain with you you don't take all of the bad things that happened in life you only take the good when you are near god because god is all good and all beautiful and everything that is light and wonderful that's what god is and it's magnified by just enormous amounts of power and in that place i knew that i was changing that before and maybe this is what i talk about when i say i was like just very much in my own body and insecure and and really um just into myself before that dear death experience i just felt my energy kind of expand and i felt oh god is changing me so now my energy is kind of out here and you know, there's more light around me and the more light that there is around me, the more light I can connect to with God. And I just want to merge with God. <laughs> like that was, that was the feeling. I didn't want to return. I just thought, no, oh, just let me stay here. This is perfect. This is everything that I've ever wanted. And I don't want to go back there. On the other side, I've heard different people, mediums and Robert Schwartz, I interviewed him and others talk about how spirits make these souls make these contracts and then they 
just see it as easy, even when it's a pretty painful experience. I, I felt that to a degree on the other side when God said, hey, look down there, look at all these souls. Some have a connection to light and a connection to God and others are covered, almost like shade um, or just like a little canopy of darkness preventing the light from reaching the light of God. And I saw that some souls had this and it could be something minor you know it could be just a moment of depression where someone feels darkened and they don't feel the light or it could be you know deep anger and fear and paranoia and you know like it could be a lot more that this darkness i didn't really differentiate it as oh this person is really bad and this person is just depressed uh, i just saw ah, everybody can just take off their fear and be connected to the light that it was the darkness was fear and the light was just being connected to God and to love and everything that is good. And I thought, oh, that's simple. You know, I can go down and tell people to do that. <laughs> I didn't realize it was going to be this hard. <laughs> um, you know, it is easy on some level as a professor and as a teacher because you have a particular role to play in people's lives and you can play that role in, in various ways and remind them of their potential and of their light and of their power. But you know, it's a complicated world. And yet over there, the symbolism of light and darkness is really very simple. So more love than you can imagine is the title of this talk, because what I came back to was a broken body. And, you know, God told me that I had to return and be a teacher. And yet I just remember waking up and even though, I mean, I was in searing pain and I had morphine running through me and I'd just come out of surgery, I just remember the light. I just, it was still there. It was still something I could touch. It was still something I could feel. And I tear up, uh, you know, at different times because it wasn't lost. And I was so afraid it would be lost. I was so afraid that coming out of surgery you know, 10, nine days in, in the, the hospital with morphine and extreme levels of pain. I thought maybe it would just be wiped from my memory and that would be the only time I would be able to hold on to that love, but it wasn't the case. <laughs> you know, that has been something that has stayed with me forever is that knowledge. And that is the most important part of the near-death experience to me is to know that I'm that loved and you're that loved and we're all that loved. If we could walk around knowing that, I think we'd take a lot deeper breaths and we just feel happier about everything that we're asked to walk through in life because we are supported with unbelievable amounts of love. But those first few days, you know, in the ER or in the, um, I was moved into a regular hospital room after three days. So the first few days in ICU were dicey and it was really just, you know, hard to navigate and to, uh, you know, to just make sense of everything that was happening. But on day three, I remember talking to so many people about that love that love of God, that God is not a word in a book. God is not something we describe. God is an experience. So when I remembered it, I would just think of, I'd look for the light in people's eyes, honestly. So nurses who looked a little bit like they might be open to talking with me about God, I would reach out to them. 
uh, I would, I saw, believe it or not, even in those first few moments where people would shut down. And, and I think that helped me navigate, you know, getting, um, you know, I heard Erica McKenzie's story. I'm in that documentary um, and for, on Amazon and for near-death experiencers or profiled Erica McKenzie, when she came out of surgery or out of uh, whatever happened to her, she told the doctor about her near-death experience and he took her to a psych ward uh, that I think I was able to navigate that because I, I could look at where people were backing away from me and go, okay, you know, I better shut up now. <laughs> like My doctor, my surgeon definitely did not want to talk about it. I mean, she literally physically backed away from me and I could tell she was like, let's talk about the physical, the fact that you are healing, the fact that I'm a good surgeon. And it, it disappointed me a little when people didn't want to talk about these things. But every once in a while, I would catch a nurse or a friend who would come in and I'd see the light in their eyes and I would know, okay, it's safe. And believe it or not, that light, I can still see in, in different people's eyes on occasion. Years later, I walked into a coffee shop and I saw this older man and I just went up to him. He was there with his wife and he had this long gray beard. And I was like, did you have a near-death experience? And he was like, I did. And so it was just like, we could see each other. Uh, sometimes that happens where you can just see that someone has touched that light, that they have literally been changed. Doesn't mean you're a perfect person. It just means that you know love. <laughs> you really, really know love on this deep level. And, you know, you can, we all have free will. You can still choose you know, wrong choices and inappropriate choices and convoluted choices based on your past, but you always know you can always return to that love of God and reorient yourself and, and go, okay, you know, God's will and God's love is really simple. Uh, it's, it's not complicated. It's, are you in service to humanity in some way? Are you providing some joy, some love, some need that humanity needs are you doing this with your life are you allowing me to work through you and this can be you know simple uh this doesn't have to be complicated so the remembering god's love was like the best way i can describe it is i would close my eyes and i would see that light and i would ask in those early days after my uh, recovery i'd ask the angels and i'd ask god hey, be with my body, help me heal here. I just invite God into that problem. Uh, in my past, I really hadn't been sick or, or experienced anything major, so I don't know how I would have navigated that, but I do know that bringing God in and remembering your own healing ability through those spaces of quietness, through that connection with divinity, it does speed the healing process somewhat. We still have to be you know, as I age and, you know, as, as we all do, you have to be more patient with yourself with healing, but you can assist that process by asking God to be a part of it and to help in, in whatever area that might be. But, but God's love in action was what amazed me the most. So there were times when in the classroom when I would get a little nervous and I would leave the classroom before, um, you know, the students came in and I would think, okay, this is a big mission, you know, that, that first day. And I would pray in the bathroom and then I would feel God's energy just descend into me. And then I'd realize, Hey, 
this isn't about Trisha. This isn't about my teaching abilities or where I went to college or anything. This is about these students. What can I do to help them? What can I do to assist them? And what might God do through me? And how do you teach God's love in, in secular places where you really can't bring up God? Well, I'm lucky that I teach English because there are so many stories, so many poems that do kind of hint at the spiritual, that at least connect with the idea of love. Then you can ask students, what is their idea of love? What is perfect love? Uh, what is the kind of life that they want to live? What is the kind of life that they want to create? And in that magical space, then students begin to, basically you're teaching them law of attraction to a degree because you're orienting their minds to what can go right instead of what can go wrong. So you read a story about everything that went wrong. You can ask the students, hey, how could this have gone right? How could you make different choices in your life to not have this disastrous romance or to not have this disastrous uh, family situation or job situation? And that orienting of positivity and belief in themselves, it really did create miracles. And I think when I look back at the students, it's always the ones who I didn't think I was reaching that kind of blew me away. So, you know, I did, I've been teaching for a couple of decades now. So some of my early students are now in graduate school. You know, I taught them when they were seniors and I had students who, one student now is working on a degree in psychology and at the graduate level and he emailed me and said you know it you probably didn't realize this but there were just certain moments in the classroom where you said something that altered my path and suddenly i thought i don't have to live in this small town i don't have to join the military i don't have to do the i can really you know, do something different. And so he went to college and for him, that was the right path and lived in New York City instead of this really small town in Texas. And it is just exciting, you know, to see that he needed whatever it was that I said. And that was, that was helpful, you know, to, to get that confirmation. But other times, I think crisis situations are where you really see the love come in. So you can see, and I did see plenty of students who were lost in absolute fear, anger, and darkness because of what they were going through. And so many students stand out, but, but one student threatened to kill my dog. And this was an eighth grader. And I remember seeing the anger around him and I thought, that's really odd. Why would this kid want to kill my dog? You know, like my dog's done nothing wrong. I just had a picture of the dog on the desk, but I let it sit and I thought, okay, how can I connect him to God? You know, how can I figure out what's going on with him? And so the principal talked to him first and then I talked with him. And as we began talking with him, we found out that this kid's father, he didn't have a mom, she had run away probably because the father was abusive. This kid's father loved his animals, loved his dogs and goats, but he beat his kids. And so the kid was reacting out of anger, seeing a picture of a dog. It had nothing to do with my dog, nothing to do with me. It was a moment of crying out for help. And when I saw that, I saw, okay, I have an opportunity to really get involved in this kid's life. And what love and action showed me is that it's sometimes not easy you know to get involved in 
in dire situations, but the more light that you can crack open into a situation, the more possibility of God's love coming into that person's life, you know, there's a greater possibility. So, you know, long story short, when CPS couldn't do a lot for this kid, uh, I just started working with him and telling him that, you know, maybe he could live with an aunt or a grandmother, or, you know, maybe he can, the principal ended up hiring him to mow lawns. And then he was able, you know, he had failed the year. So he was able to get a job um, in town and, and stay busy. And then I told him to just honestly talk with his teachers about what his home life is like and how to navigate that and to always be honest and truthful about what he's going through, but keep moving in the direction of where he wants to go, you know, most likely away from his father. And, and, you know, that, that kid made it. It just, you know, like it amazed me that, um, yeah, there was one, the resilience of students, but then two, just God's love in action is able to handle the most dire of situations. And I could give you countless stories of, of people from around the world, um, you know, who have gone into helping professions and, and done things to help people. But that moment really sticks with me because it would have been easy to just judge that kid and go, what a crazy kid. He wanted to kill my dog. He needs to go to alternative school and get out of here instead of realizing, you know, the story behind the story, which is he's highly abused and, you know, was acting out. And there were countless students like that who I think at these young ages acted out and they were act, it's a cry for love a lot of times. And that is what I realized time and time again. It's, it's easy when someone's younger than you and, and vulnerable, you know, when you're an adult and they're an eighth grader or 12th grader, it's easy to have that distance. It's a lot harder <laughs> as you walk through life and, you know, with friends or with romantic partners to remember that distance, but it's still possible. It's still possible to walk in that greater peace and to distance yourself and return to that love of God and think, how can that love of God transform this world? So one of the ways that I've seen it transform is teaching students to do this too. And I think that's maybe, you know, flash forward to teaching at the college level. I think that's maybe the most powerful lesson that the other side has connected me to is I get so much joy out of being of service to my students. It's not like, it's not like I'm patting myself on the back. It's like, okay, God knew that I needed to do this for my life, that I needed to be in service in order to live a good life. So when I teach my students to be in service to others, it's amazing to see how quickly the light in them turns on. So I had a project with college students where we, read to first and second graders and helped them with their homework. And these first and second graders were from a very, very poor district. And it's odd because they're like right around the corner from our beautiful campus. So we could walk there if the students didn't have cars. So we went there for weeks and, you know, we tutored these students. And then my students wrote a paper afterwards. And what I realized is that these students 
became a community. People who would not normally be friends of different races and different socioeconomic backgrounds suddenly were like, hey, I like this guy, I like this girl, they're, they're cool, you know, and, and they became a unit and they supported one another. And I was like, that's the beauty of college is getting past these cognitive barriers that say only people who are just like me or who I'm going to like, you know, how I was at, at 22 it breaks open their mind and they go, oh, wow, I do have things in common with this person or I really respect the way they think and what they wanna do with their lives. So that was one of the first lessons is it taught them the sense of oneness and community. The next part was they were joyful. They took cute pictures with the kids and I could tell that many of them forgot their sadness and, and many of them wrote in their essays they said you know at first when i thought about doing service work i thought this is ridiculous i'm poor i'm coming to college you know community college in order to better my life i don't want to go help someone else but then they said oh my god i, I get it i'm helping my own community i'm helping someone who was much like me and maybe their life can be better because they're going to remember me and they're going to come to this campus and they're going to see that I made it at this community college and I was like yes they get it <laughs> you know like basically I was teaching my students to do what I was taught to do by God which is I was going to heal my wounds by being in action by being of service to all the people who needed me so maybe I didn't have someone in um in high school or junior high at times who looked into my life and saw what I was going through and oriented me. I did have some people, you know, some angels in, in human form who helped, but, but I just saw that the ways that I wasn't helped, I could help this world. And that's what the light came on for my students. They realized that they could connect to that other side, that they could really connect to that light and be in service. And that is such a joy. So I know that we have questions. Um, one of the panelists said something about, oh yes, poetry. <laughs> um, so since I have taught poetry for over 25 years and, and oddly my graduate degree is in feminist poetics and, and it's kind of funny that I get a job in Texas with that degree, um, but I don't think many people looked at it. <laughs> um, but Feminist poetics is mainly just the Audre Lords and Marge Piercy's of the world who were finding their voices in the 60s. And, you know, women speaking out has been a theme of the last uh, few years. But my poetry is lyrical in nature. Some of it is really connected to the spiritual. So I always include people who've had an awakening or a spiritual experience. Sometimes they're initially afraid to talk about it. You know, I, I didn't publicly talk about mine. I told it in the classroom and I told it to friends and I told it to anyone who wanted to hear it, but I didn't speak on a television program until 2008, the I Survive series. And I thought that would be the end of it. I thought, okay, told it once, done. <laughs> like there's a, a national platform, but um, it's, there's a little bit of fear in saying things directly initially. People are afraid of what their family might say, what their job might say. And so, Definitely, I, I've shielded a lot of my ideas and experiences of the other side in poetry because it's acceptable in poetry. And also that return to nature and that beauty of nature is important. This latest book that I've, um, I'm about to release, I just decided to put together all the poetry from 
all these many years. And, and really the first part of the book is a focus on narcissistic abuse because it, it's something that there's so many blogs and Instagram accounts and so many people talking about it. But if you grew up with gaslighters or um, people who are highly selfish, perhaps narcissistic, then you're more uh, apt to gravitate to that type in a romantic relationship. And that has really been a challenge for me. My Both of my parents were narcissistic to a degree. And so the uh, the first part of the book is really just coming to this greater awareness of, of that in relationships. And, you know, part of that role is still wanting to heal something from the past. So whenever something is repeating, then you have to, you know, go through the anger and, and go through all of that. But in order to get to the light, you really have to get to this point of going, okay, then God take control and, and God, you be a part of all relationships and you be a part of, maybe I don't even need one. Uh, like you just be a part of my life and you make that decision and make it known and make it right. I will not, you know, be that person who uh, makes that decision for me. So that, that love of God is all powerful and all good and it can't orient even those parts of our lives. And that's, um, that's the direction that I'm going.